a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ryan Meeks, and after years of trying to make life work as a struggling artist, independent filmmaker, and musician, I thought to myself, hey, self, wouldn't it be helpful to ask other artists how they're finding their path in this world? And so now, that's exactly what I'm doing on a bi-weekly basis. Welcome to the Path of Art. Welcome to the Path of Art. I'm Ryan Meeks, your host, and we're here today with John Smith, DJ and morning show host of 103.5 The Arrow in Salt Lake City. And we're talking about his path of how he got to be a DJ and many other very interesting things which he has done along the way and that he currently does. Kind of like cool stuff in Utah. And you're also doing a new thing called Arrow Eats. Correct. Where you're eating stuff. Right. I want that job. I'll, can I, I'll just tell you how that I – I don't want to get too far off topic, like right okay. off the get-go. Uh, so we do we do the feature called Cool Stuff in Utah, in which you are a member of the Cool Stuff team. A lot of people may not know right. that. Right. Yeah, I still do uh, some photography for you guys You're every now and then. You're one of our camera video, guys, video, um, right. our videographers. So a lot of the – you know, we have we have clients in the building and they're like, hey, we, we want you to do a Cool Stuff video on on this or on this or on this. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't where it's like, well, what makes this cool? So uh, there's, a, there's a restaurant called Crack Shack, uh, mm-hmm. which is on 9th and 9th, real artsy neighborhood. And it's great chicken. Like it's just like uh, – I'm, I'm – you know, I'm not endorsing them at the moment. But, um, but it's really good. It's called Baja style fried chicken. And okay. so it's like fried chicken, like Kentucky fried chicken style fried chicken, but with like Mexican food seasoning. Oh. And it's amazing. So it's almost fusion like. Yes. And it's something that they invented. They're from San Diego. Mm-hmm. And they came in and they're like, hey, we want to do a cool stuff in Utah about this about this chicken restaurant. And I'm like, well, but it's not like one. a Utah. Yeah, right? they're, they're from San Diego. They're they're brand new. It is really cool. But I've got it. And so we came up with this idea to do Arrow Eats where we can talk about cool restaurants and cool places to eat and cool places to go to get food. And Crack Shack was the first. And we've since done like R&R Barbecue and Mo Betta's and some nice. other great, uh, great places that um, that we love going to. So, hey, man, eating for a living. You can't beat that. Dude, it's awesome. They give us free food. <laughs> yeah, What's up? exactly what I'm thinking. So um, let's see. I mean, so you do all this stuff for the Arrow, and you also are a volunteer firefighter. Correct. Firefighter. Sorry, let me pronounce correct. that correctly. Right. So, um, I mean, how how does that work with your schedule? How do you work that in? So just like uh, it's, you know, some guys play golf. Some guys put ships in bottles, you know, collect coins. I I fight fires. Uh, it's 
honestly, it's a, it's a great way to serve my community. It's a great way to put uh, some of my my other skills to use that I've developed over the years of, mm-hmm. of crisis management and handling myself in emergency situations. And, and I like helping people. And uh, it started when I was with a different radio station a few years ago. And I didn't feel like I was doing much, right? Like I was doing my radio thing and then – In terms of like making a a difference type of thing? Yeah, I had to feed my soul. You know what I mean? It was like I I felt – so one of my things is I – one of my self-governed rules is that I I need to give back to the community, right? You should Mm -hmm. always be giving something back to the community because – I'm a lucky cat, man, to do what I do for a living and be able to feed my family and pay my bills just by telling fart jokes on the radio. <laughs> I, uh, I, I owe this to my community to do something good. So uh, I do things. I work with the police department and I work with the, the Boy Scouts and then uh, my local volunteer fire department. Uh, they were like, hey, we need people. And I was like, I'm people. Uh, that sounds like fun. I'll give that a shot. And I fell in love with it, man. I love uh, fighting fires. It's so much. It's it's so uh, rewarding in so many levels. It uh, it it keeps you physically strong. It keeps you mentally aware, um, and it it kind of keeps you uh, in tune with with where people are and what they need. And then you you develop these skills throughout that. That it's like, oh hey, if my kid gets hurt. Now I'm an EMT. Now I know how to fix this. Or right. now my neighbor's house is on fire. Hey, I know I know how to put that out. That's great. So I bet that that also kind of grounds you a little bit in reality because you get to see a lot of uh, difficult things. Yeah. And uh, specifically recently, uh, you helped with some Fourth of July fires. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I've personally been on seven wildfires so far this year, and it's only July is the time that we're filming this or taping this. Um and the fire behavior that we're seeing uh, the past couple of years is bizarre. Um, and the the one thing that all of these fires have in common is that everybody says they're odd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a weird irony. Where it's so like, it's so it's it's not necessarily people that they have in common. It's just that they're odd. It, well, it's like man, this this fire behavior is so odd. It's burning so fast. It's burning so hot. It's taking mm-hmm. up so many so many acres. It's burning so many homes. And all of these fires that we're seeing all over the country, even all over the world, like we're seeing them in France and Spain and Portugal, mm-hmm. and everybody's saying the same thing. Man, this is so odd. And then it's like, how how long do we get to say that this is odd before we say that this is normal? Right. Right? Because it's every summer, it's the same thing and we like, see these giant fires that, just something that just new up. and odd about them that was different from the year before i think that it's i don't even think it's the year before i think people are just kind of used to the way that uh the fires the, the fire situation was in the early 1990s i don't think people realized that that the world has changed the planet has changed mm-hmm. uh, and i know there's like this big controversy you know is it global warming is it climate change I don't know what it is. All I know is that for the past five years that I've been a firefighter, I have been fighting enormous wildfires mm-hmm. all over the country. And all of them are uh, – everybody says, wow, these, these, it's so odd. It's so odd. 
And it's like, no, it's it's not. Like this is now the norm. This is mm-hmm. this is normal now. But yeah, it like you say, it is it is it does ground you because mm-hmm. it it uh, it gives you a chance to be somebody other than silly radio guy. Right. Um, and the people at the fire department. They don't care that you're local celebrity. They don't care that you're the cool stuff in Utah guy. You're just there to help. You're just like a firefighter, and mm-hmm. you're 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 just as much, if not less than, mm-hmm. uh, the full time guys. And that's right. that's also a good thing uh, when you're in this line of work is to Keeps have your uh, ego in check. Exactly. I get it. Well, um, you're also a bit of a history buff. Totally. Yeah. And that's kind of what cool stuff in Utah is about. Is like the history in Utah. And so my question about that is, so what do you find that's punk rock about that? Because you also are kind of the punk rock kind guy of, around right? here, right? Um, so punk rock is, is, is kind of like – punk rock is for, – for me, it's not just a music. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ethos, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost a, a way of living. It's a, it's a belief system in, in a way. Um, I'm going to stop just short of calling it a religion because I think that's ridiculous to call something like punk. But um, it's a uh, doing things your way, uh, doing things that better your existence and the people around you. It's taking good care of your family and it's doing as much as you can for yourself uh, if for no other reason than to teach yourself how to do it. Right. So Mm – when it comes to history, what's what's punk rock about history is that uh, our entire lives we're told the same stories, right? Mm-hmm. We're told the same stories about Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. And here in Utah, it's the same stories about the pioneers and Brigham Young. And this is the place. And don't get me wrong. All of those stories are very important. They are the fabric that is Utah. Yeah. And if you think about the ethos, they were pretty punk rock they coming out here in the middle of nowhere yeah. to try to settle this area. Going against the grain, buddy. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm all about. I'm about going mm-hmm. against the grain. And what's you know what's more punk rock than, than a, a religion founded in the United States of America that right. has to go to war with the United States Army just for the privilege of existing? Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome that when you think about rock. it. But uh, there's a lot of stories here in Utah that that we don't know, that we just – we drive past these places every day. We never ask what's inside them or what happened there or or how they got there. And I, I, I have always been fascinated. I'm just a fiend for uh, just local stories like who, who built that building and why? Why is it there? Why is it called the Walker Building? Why is there a great big tower on the roof that lights up? What is that for? And then I go in and I find out and it's like, man, that is so cool. Mm-hmm. And then you like you you take another layer off of that and it's like Utah's only one of three states that does not have a Utah History Museum. Right? We don't mm-hmm. have a state history museum. There's no one compendium for Utah state history. Uh we have the religious history, we have the military history, we have the the business history, but we don't have any state history that talks about who we are as Utahns and who we are as as people in in Salt Lake City or Twila mm-hmm. County or and I think that's cool that we have all of these stories and I think it's tragic that nobody's telling them. So right. not that I'm this uh oh great storyteller. Really I mean if I'm being honest, the the project was born out of boredom. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, I think you were there for the very beginning. You were there yeah. for episode two, I think. Yeah, right? episode two. You'd filmed one, and I said, "Hey, 
Do you need a camera yeah, guy? Yeah, that was uh, – so we filmed uh, – we did an episode on the building that we work in, the Triad Center, which mm-hmm. is downtown, which has a fascinating story behind it. It is, and it was fascinating. I, I remember everyone in the building going, oh, I didn't know that. Right? That's so cool. And we work here. And really that came because we were – during the pandemic, during the first stages of the shutdown, we were uh, here in the building doing the radio show. And like on some days I'd be the only one here on eight floors. I'd have an entire eight-story building in the downtown Salt Lake area to myself. Uh, And so I'd just go wander around. And that's that's where the project was born. Um, And we've since grown to 41 episodes. We've gone – uh, to all corners of the state, we're finding all sorts of great stuff. We've got a lot of great financial support from sponsors in the company. So uh, the project is going really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a small part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're a big part of it. Stone, our other camera guy, yeah. is a huge part of it. Sam, Sam our producer, is a huge Sam, part of I it. I think Sam does most of the heavy lifting, to be honest. <laughs> she does a lot. <laughs> but it, it's a really cool project. I'm I show up and, uh, and tell the story, and that's, that's my job. Yeah, and that's what everyone... That's what everyone likes to see. John Smith talking about cool stuff in Utah. Telling so. telling fart jokes, being yeah, punk rock. Telling fart jokes. <laughs> so so you also at some point you went to Iraq. Yeah. I, I've seen pictures of you um you know Twice. In, in Iraq. So uh how does that play in? Um well that kind of goes back to the to the whole punk rock thing, right? Where I was doing uh I was doing a, a morning show in St. George and uh, for those that that may not know, St. George is a is a small town. Uh, it's a small city on the southwest corner of the state, right on the Arizona Nevada border, uh, in the corner of Utah. And we had a National Guard unit that deployed to Kuwait, and this was in 2007. And I thought it would be really cool. Nobody had ever done this before. I'm like, I want to go do my show live with the troops. You know, we have a bunch of our local people that are out you know, grunting in the, in, in the sock out in the sun. And I want to go do my show from Kuwait for a week. And it took so long. It took so much uh, red tape to get through because everybody's like, no, you can't, your lawyers will never go for that. The army will never go for that. The state department will never go for that. Um, And And I guess you wouldn't take no for an answer. No. And that's, that's kind of the thing where it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a way. Um, And it took so long. By the time I got approval, the local unit had come back. Uh, They had already – it took a year and a half and they would already returned from their deployment by the time I got my approval. And so they're like, hey, this group is back. Is there anybody else you'd like to go see? And I said, I want to go to a forward unit in Iraq. And they're like, done. Uh, You leave October 1st. And I was like, okay. Uh, And they're like, "Here's here's your orders. Here's this. Here's this. Here's this. And uh, it turns out I went for like, I think, two and a half months um, and just did my show from Baghdad with uh, with a group called the 410 Cav, a 4th Infantry Cav unit out of uh, Fort, Col- uh, Fort, um, Fort Collins, Colorado, Fort Carson, Colorado. Okay. Um, and there was a lot of like, uh, you kind of had to, uh, I don't want to say lie, but you kind of had to... <laughs> Fill in some blanks. You kind of uh, had to exaggerate a few things okay. to get from place to place in Iraq because I'm, I'm there by myself, right? Uh, I'm not, not there with, with, with the, the producer or, or, or the military. They put me in uniform 
mm-hmm. and they they're like, you need to dress like we dress, or else people are going to single you out. So you get the same uniform, you get the same patches, body armor. Um, you just don't get a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. uh, and so you get in there and you're deployed, uh, and you start living that lifestyle for for you know 68 days. Um, wow. And and then you come home and you're like, wow, that was really fun. I'm going again. Uh, and then I I went to uh, Syria. I went to Iraq another time. I went out with the Navy uh, and spent. Um, and you a, were so. And you were out there doing your radio show. Yeah, from there. Yeah. And, um, oh wow. Amongst other things, um, once I had, um, you know, I was I, blogging was a thing at the time. Right. Facebook was in its infancy. MySpace was still a thing at the on the first trip. Oh, MySpace. But you you go out there and and the army and the national guard and the agencies that you're working with, they realize that oh hey, this guy's uh, a recruiting opportunity. So they start mm-hmm. they start hooking you up with people. They're like, hey, you should go see this guy. Hey, you should go see this guy. And you're like, I'm not going to say no. Am I going to turn down a trip to Iraq again? No. Am I going to turn down a chance to spend two weeks on a Navy ship off the coast of Africa? No, that's awesome. Uh, and so you get to go do all these really cool things. But looking back on it now, like it's been, I think it's been 12 years since my last uh, adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on it now, it's insane. What was I thinking, dude? That's crazy. That's a very scary thing to even think about doing. And it's kind of awesome that you just did it. Punk rock. Punk rock. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a short break here. Uh, We're talking with John Smith. We've had some great stories about who he is. And when we get back, we'll be talking about how he got there. This is The Path of Art. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to The Path of Art. We're here with John Smith from 103.5 The Arrow, and we just went over just who he is, and he's a pretty great guy, if you didn't gather from that. (laughs) Thanks, dude. (laughs) And so we're going to dive into how we got there. So your main your main thing right now, the thing that's bringing income, is your job as a DJ or morning show host. Right. Yeah. The the bread and butter is the morning show. Right. And so, what first got you interested in radio or DJing? That's uh, yeah. It was you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I think everybody knew what I was going to do before I did. Um, I've always been really into to music and rock music specifically. So as a kid, I was always into bands, 
you know, like uh, Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and uh, as well as like new wave bands like Depeche Mode and R.E.M. and, and Oingo Boingo, you know, some of my favorites. And, um, you know, I would always – I'd always have music playing. I'd always have tapes. I'd always have records, even at like the age of five. Um, and my older brother, very much the same way, he ended up uh, getting into radio a couple of years before I did. And he helped me get my first interview. Um, I got on a station called uh, 107.5 The End. Uh, he was the morning show host of The End at the time. This was mm-hmm. 1997. Um, and I think I got hired uh, like January 98, somewhere around there, really early on in that year. Um, were you were you in high school at this time? I had just graduated high just school. Just graduated. I was, okay. I was fresh out of high school. Um and still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I had a couple of career paths and I was like, ah, well, you know, I'll, I'll try this radio thing. There's no way I can make a career out of this. No way. Um, uh, because it, I just didn't think I was that lucky. I didn't think that I had I, – I didn't think that I had a shot, right? Um, and you go in and you just kind of put your time in and start doing weekend overnights and uh, learning various jobs and tasks throughout the industry and, uh, you know, 20 – Five years later, here here I am, uh, still still plugging away, still just kind of working at it. So it was just kind of a a job that you got from help of your brother, and you, and it became your passion of sorts. Yeah, he he got me the interview, um, and he taught me a lot of stuff. Uh, but you know, I had to I had to prove prove myself along the way many times over at the same time, um, and. It's kind of one of those things where you don't realize that you know a lot about something until you try to explain it to somebody else. And I realized as and then the you years, get a blank stare back. Yeah, just, you know, you, sure. you start you start going on about you know how you schedule music and how you pick songs and how you you know at the time it was producing commercials and you know setting up uh, live broadcasts and you start explaining this to people and they're just like I have no idea what you're talking about and then you're like oh maybe maybe I do know what I'm doing. Uh, but I've, I, you know, uh, I, I think a common thread among, uh, creative people that you'll, you'll probably say people on this show have, have said the same thing where it's like, I'm terrified that one day people are going to wake up and they're going to realize how full of crap we all are. You know what I mean? Where it's like, (laughs) wait a minute, how much, what we're paying this guy to do what he gets to sit in there and play music all morning. No, go get a job, hippie. Uh, it's a pretty cool gig when you a, think about it. It's the best job in the world. I am the luckiest cat I have ever met, and I have no idea how uh, they keep letting me do it. I really don't. Um, call that imposter syndrome if you want, but um, but I, you know, I think you know people ask you know how'd you how'd you become a success? And I'm like, I, this is not success. This is survival. Like this is – I don't want to starve to death. So I just figure out a way to, to make this work, make people laugh. So was there ever a point like you know, that you had more imposter syndrome or that you felt that it wasn't going to work out in radio? I mean it comes and goes. Um, there are certain times when you're really proud of yourself and you, you pull something off and you're like, man, that's, I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. You know what I mean? Um, but the thing the thing with radio is it's like – um, like depending on on where you're at or, or who you are, you'll you'll see measures of success that that kind of level up differently, right? And if you're not enough 
without these levels, you won't be enough with them in this job. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, uh, if I measured uh, my success or happiness by, um, you know, how well the job is going, it's like, okay, well, I'll be happy once I get a full-time job. And then you get full-time and then you're like, okay, but I want to be on the morning show. And then you get a morning show. It's like, well, then I want to be on a morning show in a bigger market. And then you get that. And then it's like, okay, but I want to be number one, right? Mm-hmm. So there's it's, it's this moving target. And if you're not enough without those, those you know, imaginary trigger points, uh, you'll never be enough with them. You know what I mean? You've got to love what you do uh, regardless of what other people see as success. Mm-hmm. Um, so – I get to come to work every morning and play great music and it's a it's a personal relationship that you you build with the listeners, right? And the way that I measure that is when people come up to me and they're like, "Oh man, I love listening to your show." Or, "Oh man, you you made me laugh so hard the other day." I don't I don't take that as just flattery, which it is. It is flattery, but that is that is the true barometer of whether or not I'm doing my job. Right. It's validation. In a way, In a, sure. Like, And what I mean by that, it's like I'm doing as good as I hope that I'm doing. Exactly. You know, it's it's like the gold star at the end of the, the, end of the school year. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I passed the test. Uh, somebody came up to me at this remote and they said, hey, man, thanks for, thanks for getting me out of bed in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So what, uh, what kind of led you we, – we talked about how – uh, this obviously became a passion at some point. And so when it became a passion, what what experience led you to say, I'm going all in, I'm going to pursue this as my career? <laughs> what what was that experience? Uh, I had, you know, my rent was due probably. I, I don't know. Um, no, I mean, this is, it's kind of one of those things where uh, kind of like we, we talked about with, with Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this one way or the other. I'm, I'm not stopping until... Until this happens, um, and that's just—I I guess that's just the way I'm built. I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm too hard-headed to admit defeat, maybe, um, or too hard-headed to see that you know maybe there were other career paths that could have brought me more money. I don't know, um, but it was like I—I I decided, you know, early on. There's many jobs within radio that you can do, right? You can be a production guy and you can make the commercials that people hear or you can be a music director and deal with the songs that that people hear or uh, a promotions guy that sets up the the live events. And throughout all of this, I had to do all of those as a full-time spot just for the privilege of being on the radio um, with the ultimate – goal of being on the radio and nothing else. And no matter what my job was, even if I was working at Blockbuster Video, which I had to do several times, uh, it was always, what am I? I'm a DJ. You know, what do you do for a living? I'm a DJ. You know, even if I was only logging like three hours a weekend uh, on the air and working 40 hours a week at, at uh, you know, at Home Depot, it's like, I'm a DJ. That's what I do. And when you tell yourself that that's, that's what you are and you don't give yourself an out, right? I don't give myself an excuse to go, okay, well, yeah, I, you know, I've got a radio show that I could do this weekend, but, man, I need the hours at, at Home Depot. I better, I better focus on this job because this is the one that's paying the bills. It's 
like, no, long game. Uh, I'm a DJ. This is where the priority is. So that leads me to another question, something that's been brought to my attention recently. And um, it's about sacrifice. Uh-oh. Okay. And, okay. and this, right. is, this is kind of, you know, kind of off topic. Not, not necessarily. This, this wasn't on the prep sheet, Ryan. Right, right. This was not on the prep sheet. <laughs> but, but I'm starting to realize that there has to be, like, sacrifice to be able to have focus. Mm-hmm. And, and that might be one of the places that I struggle with the most is because I have so many interests. Like music, yeah. doing the podcasting, uh, Magic the Gathering, you know, yeah. all, these, all these random things that I put so much time into my family. And at some point, I need to put them all out in front of me and decide what's going on the chopping block. Maybe not on the chopping block, right? Um, think, of it like a, think of it like a museum, right? Uh, a museum never keeps an exhibit uh, in, in place for too long. Right mm-hmm. now, you may have the centerpiece. You may have the 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 the, the street appeal draw that brings people in the the T Rex. Uh, but you always have these revolving exhibits, kind of in the in the outer outer hallways, um, and that's that's kind of how I look at it. Where it's like, okay, I'm really into uh, action figures right now. So you know, so this is what I'm going to do. Which you literally are. I am into, into action a, figures. I, I collect action figures, man, and it's it's. It is a huge stress relief to be able to switch your brain off and and go hunting for action figures. I love going to Disneyland. That's another thing. Is is you know I love history. I love making videos. I love doing. You know I have I have a lot of interests, but doing them all at the same time. Obviously, you don't get to do much of anything. So right. you just kind of say, okay, this one's going in the this one's going in the archive for a little while. This one's going in the back room, and I'm going to focus really heavily on. Uh, my cool stuff in Utah videos because that's I need I need this to take off uh, or I want this to hit a certain level of of uh, of viewership by a certain date. Um, but the centerpiece is always radio uh, for me. So in your case, like you know, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up, Ryan? What do you what do you, you want know, to be? That's that's kind of how this podcast <laughs> got started. I'm like, I don't know, but I did decide. Look, I'm going to focus on podcasting really hard yeah. for at least the next year and just see what happens. And that's that's the way to do it. Um, and that's you know, I I sacrificed a lot. I sacrificed mm-hmm. uh, birthdays. I sacrificed. Having friends, I mean, you talk to you. You talk to anybody that was like, "Oh, who'd you hang out with in uh, in the year two thousand or the 2000s? And every nobody will say John Smith because I was always working. Um, I went nine months working seven days a week um, because I was trying to get my foot inside that radio station building every single day for whatever reason. Hey, we need somebody to take out the trash. I'll do it. Hey, we need somebody to put these carts away. I'll do it. I need somebody to open my mail. I'll do it, just to get just to get in there, just to get a, just to just to get a foothold. Um, and so, when you talk about sacrifice, yeah, I, I I sacrificed a lot, but it wasn't just me that had to sacrifice, right? I had to have that support structure in place too. Mm-hmm. So you've got a wife and kids. Um, even today, even even where I'm at in in my career, which is is pretty solidified at this point. I'm still sacrificing. Um, mm-hmm. Just this past just this past weekend, 
Um, I think I was home in in 48 hours. I think I was home for nine of them uh, because it was like I'm doing parades and I'm doing live broadcasts and I'm doing these special events and then I'm out fighting fires and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And luckily for me, my family understands that uh, that's one, a part of my fabric. It's part of who I am. Uh, but two, that that they're also front and center, right? That I'm doing this so that we can all survive as a family unit mm-hmm. and and pay the bills and, and have fun vacations when it's time to play. Right. So uh, you, you sacrifice sleeping in in the mornings. You sacrifice going to bed early at night. So – just little things here and there is where I would say, you know, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. But um, when it comes time to, to make those sacrifices that you talked about, you know, laying those things out in front of you, mm-hmm. um, it could be something as small as sacrificing sleeping in an extra 15 minutes. You know, wake up 15, 15 20 minutes earlier. Go to bed 15 to 20 minutes later. Um, maybe sacrifice a lunch break here and there so that you can organize your magic cards uh, so that you can still keep I w- those. I think, I think maybe Magic the Gathering is my version of your collecting yeah. the, the action figures. <laughs> and that's important, man. It's important. It's important stuff. But do I do, I do it every day? No. I mean, I, I get the action figures out, and, you know. Well, I say out as if they don't have an entire room in my house for action figures. Uh, but, you know, that's maybe one or two days, maybe a mm-hmm. year that that I get to spend just on that. Right. It's so interesting to see what others sharpen the saw with, you know. Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a phrase my dad always used. And I think uh, – I like that. That's a good phrase. Right, because you got to keep it sharp. I think also that, that uh, Covey guy, Stephen Covey, I think he uses the same yeah. phrase. Sharpening – you got to sharpen the saw. So He's that, the day planner guy. Right, the guy that makes the, the Franklin, company that Dave, Franklin all, Covey, yeah, all yeah. the day planners, and so and then you 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 went for you know, I mean you went from station to station and you eventually arrived at the one hundred three five the Arrow here, yeah, and uh, I mean it's been going well for you, uh, you know, and it's funny, man. That was uh, the the story of of how I ended up on the Arrow specifically is is hilarious because. It started out as a an awesome day, and then it became a terrible day, oh, wow. and then and then the next day was awesome again. Oh. So uh, I started out. I was on another radio station. This sounds um, like a normal day, and it was just a normal. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like oh, it's just a total roller coaster. Oh, normal day. It's a Tuesday. Um, so Metallica was in town. This was uh, November 2018. Oh, I went to that uh, show. Yeah, right. Oh Great my gosh! Show. Oh my gosh! Awesome. So they wouldn't I let was, me take uh, my camera in. I was having breakfast with Metallica's tour manager and what? their record label, and we were getting ready for the show that night. Um, and I was with uh, a different station here in town, who I'm I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh. Uh, you know, because because you know, I had to sign papers and stuff. That's okay. Um, and then so that station had a uh, a staff meeting for it was like an all staff meeting uh, scheduled for that morning, and so we're over across the street. We're over at like Market Street Grill having breakfast with mm-hmm. awesome waffles, and we're uh, we're walking back over, and I'm with you know some some high ranking guests from Metallica, and. Uh, people are going filing into the the conference room to go have this this meeting, and the, there's one of the company lawyers standing there, and he, he stops me. He's like, "Actually, we need you up on the third floor." And at that point, I knew it was like, "Oh no!" And I leaned over to the to the guy I was with. I'm like, "You'll have to excuse me. I need to go get fired." 
Um, oh, wow. and that's literally what I said. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to handle it. Right. Like I'd been fired so many times. You think I'd be better at it by now? I was fired so. once and I was depressed for months. Oh no, no. See, that's it's rough. No, listen, if, for people listening, when you get fired, uh, especially if you're in the entertainment world, you will be fired at some point. It will happen. Uh, you get 24 hours and then you get back to work. That's that's the that's all the time you get. Um, so you get to go home and you get to be depressed and you get to cry and you get to to pout and kick the wall and and shout at the screen and tear up your resume. Uh, and then you wake up at bright and early, 6 a.m. the next day and you get back to work. And that's that's the only that's all you get. So in this case, uh, I went up to the third floor and there was uh, 14 or 15 other people <laughs> from the company that were getting fired that same day. Ooh. And and I waited for the general manager to walk in. Uh, I won't say his name. We'll call him Kevin. Uh, we waited for Kevin to, co- to come in. And the minute he came in, I called my wife uh, and I'm like, hold on, Kevin, you'll have to wait just a second. And I'm like, hey, honey, I'm about to get fired. So I'm going to call you back in a minute. <laughs> Uh, and then I hung up the phone. I'm like, sorry, I just wanted to give my wife a heads up. Please. You were saying, and <laughs> oh, wow. I did that so that I could spoil, spoil his, his, his intro. Right, I wanted right. to kind of break the ice and just be like, don't you, you there's no way you're sugarcoating this one yeah. bad boy. And then I laid into him in front of everybody. Oh, uh, wow. I just, cause when you're a DJ, you, you talk for a living, right? Mm-hmm. This is all I do. Uh, and, and. You get pretty good at it after a while. I can use words to do all sorts of crazy things. I can make you laugh and I can make you cry. Uh, and so in this case, we we went for the latter. Uh, and I didn't hold anything back. And, and it wasn't just on my behalf. It was on behalf of everybody else in that room. Only one other person in there was an on-air personality. And a lot of these people were really hardworking uh, behind-the-scenes cats that were just getting a shaft for no reason, just for budget cuts. Yeah. And – uh, you know, however reason they ended up on the chopping block, I don't know. They were talented people. Um, and as I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just mad, I'm just angry. I look down and I've got a text message from, from Sue Kelly, uh, who is now my boss on the arrow. And she said, I know what's happening, dot, dot, dot. Call me when you're done. Uh, nice. and so I was unemployed for about seven minutes. So, wow. <laughs> so I go. left, I left the room and I came Straight over here to to Bonneville, and I got hired that same day, uh, part time. Uh, they put me on part time on middays, and and again, I had to start at the bottom, and I had to work my way up very very quickly because I have a family to feed. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, a first grader at home. I had a, a wife that is a stay at home mom. You know, I, it was uh, you know it was a week before Thanksgiving, uh, getting fired just before Christmas when you've got you know a kid waiting for Santa Claus at home. That sucks. That's exactly what happened to me not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, it was right before Christmas, and I, I don't know. I don't want to say too much about it, but I felt like somehow the guy that let me go kind of enjoyed it. It's a sick kind of people out there. It was so kind of like you know that like Christmas is right around the corner, but luckily. 
I had done all my Christmas shopping in October. There you go. That's October. a smart man. Do Christmas shopping in I've October. I've noticed that about you. You're a smart dude. You're a you're a very careful guy. I, which I noticed, like you and I spend a lot of time together uh, doing the cool stuff shoots, and I noticed that I I pry you out of your shell quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I have to make you do am, things that scare you. Right. I'm very yeah. I'm very cautious. That's that's for sure. Um, people don't know this. I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal this about you. Oh no. Uh, Ryan oh, no. has a has a tremendous fear of heights. Yes. And it's only getting worse with age. Oh, my gosh. So we just got, okay, we barely live in the boundaries of Cottonwood Heights. I'm not going to say where it's at, but we barely live in there. We just got a Cottonwood Heights uh, rec center membership. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so we go to the swimming pool often, and they have, like, various tiers of uh Diving board. Oh, you got the high dive. Right. Yeah. So I, I go off the little one with my kid, okay. right? And I'm like, I'm going to try the second one. And, and how, it's, how old is your kid? She is 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. And so we go to the second one, which isn't that high of a dive, but as I walk out, like, you know where the board goes out, but then the 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 whatever whatever's underneath you doesn't go anymore. And you're oh, just on board. right, right, right. Right when I hit that point, like, it my vertigo. It starts being the bouncy. My vertigo just like, whoa. And then all of a sudden I turned into Mr. Bean in that episode on the high dive. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's all these kids behind me waiting for me to go. And I'm just like this grown man, yeah, like grown holding man tight to this. to go off the diving board. Uh, yeah. And so I just, I tried it three different times. I'm picturing you it. in a Speedo as you're doing this. Or were you in a like a tight swimsuit? No, I'm you... not that that much into Mr. Bean that I, wait, did he wear a Speedo? Yeah, he did. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, just that experience. Yes, I I get vertigo. It's a thing, and it's getting worse as I get old. We've dragged you uh, to some pretty high places. You've been we've, to we've, the top of the Walker Building. We put you on the to, the roof of the uh, the the city capitol, the the city, yeah, the county, city and building. county building, and then we went to the uh, the roof of Adib's. But we oh, were yeah, you were the, we were in the that was where Sam, our producer, developed a fear of heights. Uh, uh, she didn't have a fear of heights until we did the old Villa Theater episode, goodness. Uh, which we're all crawling over. So if you know the Villa Theater, the Villa Theater was built in, in the 1950s, and it's this giant auditorium-style movie theater, um, which held like 700 people or something like that. And now it's a big open-area rug gallery uh, because the the movie theater closed a long time ago, and this dude bought it. Uh, and we're crawling in the attic, the crawl space. Mm-hmm. We're going from one end of the building to the other. I don't know why we decided we wanted to do this. I think we just wanted to see it was these cool. lettuce. Um, and we're crawling along this like two by four catwalk. And you actually did great on this one. because well, because I can't see that it's hundreds of feet below me because there's. <laughs> but there's ever the... since then, Sam has a fear of heights. Wow. That now she wa- now she doesn't want to go up the ladders. Oh, wow. And do all this stuff. So now it's just me. So, right. but, um, but I I will still go up the ladders with you. You've always I, done it. I always test myself, even at the Cottonwood Heights, Cottonwood Heights Rec Center. I still test myself every time we go to see if I can do it. I think the one time, I think you froze one time when we were climbing up the Rio Grande train station. Oh, yeah. And there was like this really tall vertical ladder. Yes. And it was like bolted into the bricks. Mm-hmm. And it's like 30, like probably 30, 40 feet yeah, and it, Straight was, up. it was a little rickety halfway through. I remember that. It was like, wait a second. This isn't as secure you, as I, I hope it is. You're like halfway up. Like you were. I think you were coming down. I think right. you'd already gone up and you mm-hmm. were coming back down and you just stopped. 
Mm-hmm. Like halfway. They're like, dude, you got to come to the restaurant. You can't live there. You got to do one or the other, man. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Mm. You can see those videos. Those videos are, uh, those ones are all still online. They're all still. Right. Yeah. They're they're all on the Facebook page. Yeah. They're all on 103.5 The Arrows Facebook page. Still, Nailed it. So. Well, John, what what is in your future? What do you, what do you have planned for the future? If I'm if I'm lucky, uh, I will never leave this job. I will never leave this station. Um, I am I am so lucky to be on the station that I'm on. Uh, not just because I love the music and and I love the classic rock, but the the listeners of this station are so passionate. It's the the KRSP letters. Uh, they're iconic. Right, they're part of Utah's history. Uh, the station's been around since 1967, uh, and so you have generations that have got, grown up listening to the station when it was KRSP, and then when it was Rock 103, and then it was Arrow 103.5, and now it's 103.5 The Arrow. Um, and they still come up and they're like, "Hey, Rock 103, love it!" and and we just high five them and say, "Yep," because who am I to who am I to correct them? And that's how they know it. It's you their know, that's station. That's how they know it. Um, and in a way, it's kind of like Disneyland. It's it's become it's become an iconic brand within itself. Um, and I always tell people like this is the first radio station that I've been a part of uh, where it's not my station, right? When I was with X ninety six or when I was with Sunny one hundred three or uh, uh, you know one hundred seven five the end, it was always oh yeah this is this is mine this is my station I'm making it mine. But with the Arrow, it's it's their station, and I'm just lucky to be a part of it. Uh, so if I'm lucky, I get to stay right where I'm at and, and never leave town. Um, and hopefully I'd, I'd love to see the cool stuff in Utah videos grow. Uh, the arrow eats videos are, are growing really well. Um, I'm getting older, so I don't know how much longer I'm going to be chasing fires, but, uh, I'll always be looking in old buildings and always playing great, great music. So cool. And, and before we go, if you had one if you had one piece of advice for someone that's starting out, they're they're like, I want to be a DJ or I want yeah. to be a, a radio personality. What would that one piece of advice be? Um, that would be, I mean, I don't know if I could give you one piece of advice. Uh, I will tell you the same thing that I tell everybody that 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 does ask me that question because you get that question a lot. Um, I would say one, love the job, not the product, right? Um, you're going to work for, you know, chances are you're, you're going to work for a a couple of different radio stations. You're going to work for a couple of different companies. There are, there are the rare few that have worked for one radio station their entire career. And man, am I jealous of those guys. But what I learned early on was, uh, I will love doing this no matter what song I'm playing, right? I've played country. I've played rock i've played britney spears i've played rap i've played classic rock and fortunately for me i'm on a format that that i actually love listening to in my off time but love the job not the product uh do what you're going to do no matter what logo is on the golf shirt that i'm not going to wear anyway um and then the other thing is patience right this is a this is this is a marathon not a sprint uh, if you're going to be in radio uh, for a long time, you've got to look way down that road and see see where you're going. Um, when you start getting your ego involved, uh, that those are short-term goals, right? Those are short-term objectives. 
when you set your ego aside and set your personal feelings about whoever you're working with or whoever you're working for aside, you can start looking down the road and seeing where your career is going to be. Um, and thankfully, I've I've been able to do that more times than not. Now, nobody's perfect, right? I've screwed that up plenty of times. But um, when you're like, okay, I don't, I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't like the station. Or I don't like this music. Right? I hate the people that I work for. Um, don't just quit. Um, you know, find out what that next step's going to be. And if you're lucky, eventually you end up on a station like the Arrow or with a company like Bonneville uh, or in a market like Salt Lake City where people still love their radio jocks. People still listen to the listen to their FM radios and 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 participate in the games and the contests and and people in the building still respect you as a as a part of the as a part of the culture um because that's not everywhere not everybody does that so look for those long-term goals uh and be patient it takes a long time to get there uh this is not something that happens overnight unless you're sam in which case uh you know we we plucked sam out of the receptionist chair uh, because I needed a producer for the morning show, and I'm like, uh, nobody's here because of COVID. But what are you doing? And she's like, I work part time. I'm like, fine, you're now my producer. Come on up. Now so, she went from wanting to be a nurse to doing radio. Yeah, that's the thing. She was a nurse, right? And now she's a morning show personality. That's awesome. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Thank you so much for coming on, John. It's been a pleasure just talking with you about your story. And I I hope anyone out there, if you're interested in becoming a DJ, that this was helpful for you to kind of map out how you can get to that point someday. Uh, this has been another episode of The Path of Art, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Path of Art. If you or someone you know is creative and would like to tell your story, reach out to me at rmeeks at ksl.com. I might feature you on the show. If you liked our conversation, please make sure you follow the show and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help people to discover the show. Also, make sure you follow The Path of Art podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.